Here we go. Welcome everyone to Faded Mates. I am Sarah McLean. I write romances. No, what do I do? I write romance novels and I read romance novels. Yeah, that's true. That's what you do. I'm Jen. I'm, I'm, that's it. You are like an amazing human. I just want everyone oh. to know. Well, you're an amazing human too this week. My God. I don't want to talk about any of that. None of those things happened to me. We have a lot going on. Um, <laughs> I'm Jen Prokop. I am Jen Reads Romance on Twitter. And I am a reader and a teacher and a person who would like to kick your ass. Well, <laughs> not your not your ass, specifically. No. Listener. <laughs> Just don't mess with me, everybody. <laughs> Jen tweeted this week. What was it? It, it was, was like I like to fight. Period. Yes, it was like, <laughs> was like don't. Well, you know, it was don't tone police me. Semicolon. I like to fight. And the thing I realized is, as after a bunch of people came in to tone police me, I was like, that's really true. I really have like sunk down to the very bottom of my soul. Like, don't tell me how to feel about the things I feel. Which seems like a perfect segue into <laughs> our book this week. Fine. <laughs> because you know who else likes to fight? Ellie. Oh, God, I love her. I mean, I don't know if she likes to fight, but man, she fights She fights well and she fights dirty. Yeah. You guys, it's here. It's Lothair Week. I just want to like feel like, I feel like we never thought we'd get here. No. Like, that's the part that amazes me. Can you believe it? Can you believe like no. last summer we joked about starting this podcast and here we are, episode yeah. number 20 something, I think? It's crazy. It is. And well, and you know what? I, up on Faded Mates on the Twitter and online, we will put our proposed like reading what's going to happen next because we think we're going to go off road a little bit and make our own order. Yeah, we are because you guys, we are hearing you. We are hearing you. And we know that, you know, you love us, first of all, and you just don't want us to end. <laughs> we intended for this. Okay, fun fact. We intended for this podcast to be 18 clean episodes long. We are now at Lothair, which is a milestone, but nowhere near the end. And we are more than 20 episodes in. So, yeah, I mean, we apologize or you're welcome. We don't know. We don't know. You know what? We're having fun and we assume you are, too. That's all we have. Exactly. Exactly. So but here's the deal. We are listening to you. We hear that you all want us to continue. We will talk more about that uh, next week in the Ask Me Anything episode. Um, so there's that. Um, but we are definitely going to read the Game Maker series. Um, and we are definitely going to read the Scottish historicals, the McCarrick Brothers series. Yeah. So, um, get ready because we do have a new, a new order. For those of you who are wondering, we know that Cressley has Monroe coming. We are not going to do Monroe when it comes out. We're going to do it in the order of the series. Yeah. Because she's writing it in the order of the series. So that's how that's going to go. Right. Um, And that's that. But this is that's housekeeping because it's Lothair. <laughs> and Lothair likes to have housekeepers is what we've learned. <laughs> Lothair does not like it when we clean. So we're going to stop housekeeping. Oh. <laughs> I think I'm housekeeping because I'm so nervous about recording this one. I feel like I'm like, could we possibly do it justice? I'm going to say we can. I think it's going to work out. But I think we'll be fine. I really do. Because I think... I think you and I have read this book a whole lot. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> How many times over the last, since we started the podcast, has one of us tweeted or texted at the other? Now I'm just reading Lothar again. <laughs> yes, so many times. More well, than and once. <laughs> as I'm sure will shock no one, I also listened to it again this time. Yeah. So I'm like the full, I'm ready. I think it's really funny. So I have never, as you know, I did not audiobook really any of these books except for I've listened to the audiobook of Sweet Ruin. Um, what's very funny for me is the Russian just, it doesn't work for me as much as all the others. You know, I had a friend say that too, and I totally get it. But I am like so deep in at this point that nothing's going to stop me. You're a Petkoff stan is what you are. <laughs> Without a doubt. Like... <laughs> That poor man, if he had any idea. If he saw me on the street, he'd be like, oh, shit, who's this weirdo? You'd be like the only person in the whole world to recognize Robert Petkoff, like, coming out of somewhere. I don't care. Um, But I, you know, it occurs to me, Jen, he's a New Yorker, and you're coming here yeah. why. And yeah. so maybe we should just do, we, what we should do is live Fated Mates with Petkoff at RWA. Like, it's all fun. <laughs> Clear a room, everybody. It's happening. I don't know if he would be ready for that, truthfully. I think he'd actually probably be afraid. <laughs> like, who knows what would happen, right? But also, like, vaguely delighted. Like, oh, sure. I feel like he has no real earthly idea of how Cressley readers have... Feel about him. ...have loved him over the years. Well, he, by the way, is an audiobook genius. Like, he does more than just this series, and he does some big books. So I'm pretty sure that he is well-known by audiobook lovers everywhere. Yeah. It is true. I have noticed that about audiobook lovers, that they they know the readers and the performers, and they love their performers. Yeah, absolutely. Which totally makes sense to me, because some people are just so good at it. Yeah, well, and I know, I mean, I don't. I don't listen to audiobooks of my own either. I've never listened to my own audiobooks because that the one time, the you know, few times I try, it's just so weird because it doesn't sound anything like what it sounds like in my head when I read it. Yeah. Um, But I do get a lot of mail from readers that's like, oh, I really, I didn't like that you changed the narrator here or I, you know, I prefer this other narrator or thank God you have this new narrator because she's the best narrator ever. Like, so definitely... Anyway, Petkoff, Lothair, people love it. A lot of exclamation points. Get Petkoff <laughs> for one of your books, Sarah. Oh, my God. You know, I have been thinking about that because I feel like the Bare Knuckle Bastards are really, like, hero-driven stories. And yeah. it's like, well, why can't I have them? I'm like, I why know. can't I have Petkoff? I feel like because Petkoff's busy recording Monroe. That's Fine. why I can't have Petkoff. <laughs> we all deserve Petkoff, though. I just want to but say But I that. should also say, like, I do adore my uh, my audiobook narrators. Uh, my current audiobook narrator is Justine Eyre, and she's incredibly talented. And she also was nominated for an Audie for one of my nice. books. Nice. That's amazing. I know, which is really nice because it's completely her. But I feel like I own it, too, in some way. Of course. Source material. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. So we've been dancing around it. Okay. It's Le- it's Lothair. We got to dig in because these people, you know, I mean, hopefully they, you know, worked out and carb loaded before this because I think it's going to be a long episode. <laughs> <sighs> Clean all the bathrooms, everybody. Okay. <laughs> so I feel like I've been thinking a lot about where we're going to start. And I think I want to start with Odysseus. 
Because I, I want to get it out of the way, and I feel like it's a little obnoxious, but I really... Because you've texted me a full, like, 83 times. Odysseus. For those of you who are not in... Who haven't read Odysseus since, like, high school or whatever, right? Um, the story of Odysseus is um, famous for, like, th- essentially the length at which this man is trying to return home, right? So he is called to the Trojan War. He spends 10 years fighting the war. He's the one who puts, puts an end to it by, um, like, essentially coming up with the idea of the Trojan horse. And then he tries to return home, right? Great. War's over. Let's take our booty and go home. And it takes him another 10 years to return home. And um, so it's a, a story about a journey. And I won't like really go into the details. Maybe I'll might write some monographs and put like my <laughs> show my work on the on the <laughs> in the show notes. But I think there's a couple of things about Odysseus that are like the re- like there there's like little details. But I think the thing I really thought about it when Lothair was on the island on Torture Island, and I was like, God, he's stuck on an island and just really wants to get home. And then I was like, Oh, and there's like this sorceress who's keeping him from his mate and right so it's like i sort of did all of these um like all these little pieces stuck in like stuff started making me think that but i think the key part really is the idea that you know odysseus was like wild from war he wasn't Mm -hmm. ready to go back home and i think that's true of lothair too right he's like not ready to have his fated mate. He's he's literally crazy, right, in the text. But I think the other thing I think is really interesting is Odysseus is known as like a trickster and a liar. And one of the really fascinating things that this book plays around with is the idea that Lothair cannot lie, and yet he is an accomplished liar because of Lothair speak. But I would also argue because he lies to himself. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of an interesting trick, right? How do you lie to yourself when you can't lie? Because he really lies to himself, I think, a lot about who his mate is. Because there's this, is it Ellie, is it Soroya question. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's it's been on my mind a lot. Like, this is like an epic journey for us as readers to get to this book. But it's also an epic journey for Lothair himself to get to the point where he can accept this mate as being perfect for him rather than an insult to him. Right. And it's interesting because I, the more I think about it, I mean, I've been joking every time you text me about, <laughs> about Odysseus, but the more, of course, because you keep texting me, I keep thinking about it. And every time we see him, um, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of things in this, in this book that are, that are Greek, that are sort of Homeric in their, in their way. Right. Yeah. So like there's the Oracle, there's, you know, there's there are all these pieces that feel very authentically epic. Um, yeah. And but what's interesting is that Odysseus, if you look at the if you look at Lothair's journey from book one through to now, he is really tracking it. Right. Like he was at war. He was a mm-hmm. major. He was an, an essential lieutenant at war, you know, from the start. Um, of these the first moment we see him on on the page he's a vital piece of this battle the accession of the accession battle this time um and we see what's what's interesting and we'll get to it is the way that um that um lothair seems to be laying pieces for so many future books yes books that we don't have yet right like right the fury book the christoph book 
the I mean these kind of big books that we assume must be coming are going to come essential uh, eventually. Um, and I think we're seeing something really interesting with Lothair there, with the allegory, uh, with the journey. And then I think we're also seeing something really interesting craft-wise for Cressley because we know right now, for example, that her next book is Monroe. And Monroe has been waiting. I mean, he's been cooking for for books, for five so many books, books six right. books. So um, I think we're seeing that now she's not afraid to just sort of it's a bold choice as a writer to say, you know, the next book. I mean, Lothair at the very end of this book, it's weird that we're starting at the end, but he, when he walks in and in the epilogue and he says to Kristoff, like, hello, brother. Like, yes. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. But now we just. That's it. Like, now we it, sit on it forever. Yes, forever. Right. Well, and I think what we'll end up finding when those books arrive is like a similar pattern where like, oh, all these books are really happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. We just don't we just don't have them yet. Right. Right. Because actually the end there, there's something about the fact that Kristoff has gone away or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think it's really interesting to think about. Um, I, I would also say I think it's. When we talk about romance, um, like obviously it's one of my one of my favorite you I don't remember is it love between the covers what's that documentary is that the name of it yeah and there's this part where um Jenny Cruzy talks about like it's a product it's a can of soup like it's something you're gonna sell right Mm -hmm. and that's true right like it's these are books this is not art you're gonna hang on the wall it's not a Picasso right like you are looking to sell this item but I also think it's a way to like I don't know. I see her repelling this mountain where she's like claiming like these books are so involved. They're so complex. They are hearkening back to some of the world's greatest stories, right? Like these are literally epics. Mm-hmm. And and I like that. I like it's a and I don't think it's like snooty. I mean, I tell my my students all the time, like if you don't want to pay attention to this stuff, you don't have to. Right? right. Like and the analogy I often use is like cooking. Like like okay, I don't like cooking, you do. If we went into a restaurant together, you're going to be a person who is like, oh, I don't know. There's like a hint of rosemary. And I'm just going to be like, yeah, it tasted fine. Mm-hmm. And I and what I think what I tell my students is like, you don't have to know the ingredients to know that you're eating something delicious. Mm-hmm. Right. That You're eating something that it's complex and really well crafted. Like you don't have to know the names to just like know that something special mm-hmm. is happening. And I think that's why this middle section to me, it's really like. I feel like she, not only is Lothair at the height of his powers, but she is too. Yeah. Cressley le- is leveling up in every book here. Yes. Like there's, and look, I want to talk a little bit before we start. I want to talk about Lothair in the canon of romance. Can we do that? Yes. A little bit? Um, because, so at this point, I really think we need to sort of toss out this whole uh, plot summary thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> you're with us or you're not, everybody. Yeah. If you're not with us, if you don't know who Lothair is by now, you haven't been paying close enough attention. <laughs> um, but hopefully you've, li- you've read the book um, by this. And what I will say is there were definitely moments in this book where I was like, you know, I wonder if you could read this book without having read any of the mm. others. Interesting. Like, because to your point, there are definitely things where you're going to be like, what is this? And how, like, how does that fit into everything? But like the Horde, the Dacians, like there's right. lots of stuff going on here that maybe you know about and maybe you don't need to know about like 
the ultimately I think Lothair's journey in this book could potentially be a book. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Tweet us. But it feels to me like possibly people could have read this book without reading all the rest. They yeah. certainly wouldn't have gotten everything that we got out of it. But um, but I want to talk about Lothair and the canon because so Lothair is published in January of 2012. And this is important because it was published in hardcover. Um, which in romance, for those of you who are big romance readers, which most of you probably are, um, hardcover romance is like a unicorn. You don't find it very much. Um, you know, those of us who who are published in hardcover are usually published simultaneously, mass market hardcover, and the hardcovers for libraries or like super collectors. Um, you know, I'm published in hardcover and I sell like a fraction of a percent of books in hardcover and it's basically to libraries. Um, but Lothair came out in January 2012 in hardcover. It came out in the summer of 2012 in mass market, which means there was a six month lag between when the book came out and when you know, normal romance readers who had been reading Immortals After Dark for, you know, whatever, 10 books or however many books it's been, um, had had a shot at buying it for whatever, Wow, that's crazy. Okay, it's crazy. But what's interesting is Cressley did this massive tour. This, I mean, she did a tour for the ages. She They put her on a bus. They wrapped the bus in a giant picture of Paul Marin's face. This is how famous <laughs> this book is. I know the name of the model who plays Lothair. Wow. Who is Lothair on the cover of this? His name is Paul Marin. <laughs> um, fun fact, they offered him to me for one of for Beast. They offered him as a potential oh, no way. model for Beast. And I was like, Yeah, that's um, Lothair, man. <laughs> I was like, I can't have I can't have Lothair on my cover. <laughs> I mean, I kind of want him for a future cover, but like it just felt weird to have Lothair as a model on my cover. Like he will forever be Lothair to me. And most people, I mean, like you, people who are Cressley fans can close their eyes and like see Paul Marin's face in their, in their mind's eye. Absolutely. Um, So they wrap this bus in Paul Marin's face. They put Paul Marin and Cressley on the bus and they sent her all around the country to do signings and people lined up for hours like wrapped around corners they ticketed all these signings romance readers came out in droves for Lothair in hardcover and it is like pointed to as like one of the great moments of romance history like there's there's Outlander and there's you know Nora Roberts and in and in uh Paranormal there's Lothair well, that's not just paranormal. I mean, that's that that I've never heard of anything like that, right? No, no, it's it's <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. So, I mean, so I want to really say, like, there as we've been leading up to Lothair with Lothair Watch and like getting excited on the podcast for this episode and like thinking about Lothair and online. If you follow Faded Mates on Twitter, people are constantly talking about Lothair and like how Lothair impacted them and how he's their favorite and he's wonderful and. Anytime we have a guest on, they want to talk about Lothair. And, I mean, he's just, this book is a massive text for the genre. And it's a massive text for lots of reasons, not the least of which is this. It is probably one of the most influential, powerful examples of villain-turned-hero. Yeah. 
And look, we saw Declan Chase. We saw we saw Cressley sort of like fussing around with this in the last book. And I I say that with love because Declan Chase is Torture Island guy, right? Like Mr. Vivisection himself. <laughs> like he was villain turned hero, but nothing is villain turned hero like this one. Like Lothair, who was Pravis, the enemy of old, right? The Pravis army's greatest weapon is now falling in love. So it's like that trope is incredibly hard to do well. Because you can't make Lothair all of a sudden just like a fuzzy warm guy, right? Like Mm-mm. you it you can't. Like there's this, you know, leopard doesn't change its spots. And so kind of finding threading that needle where he's still villainous, but also in love. Well, we talked last week about morality chain. And yeah. and Sarah and I talked about whether or not Declan uh Dreams of a Dark Warrior is morality chain, and we disagreed a little bit, but I kind of came around to her theory, which is that it is not. Lothair is classic morality chain. He is is no good at all without Ellie, and that is a huge piece of this, right? And he's still pretty bad with Ellie. He's (laughs) fucking awful. awful. He's a terrible person and if your friend were dating anybody like Lothair you would be like you got to get the hell out like he treats you like shit yeah Um, so so let's talk about that yeah because it's really there is part of me that's like boy this really um challenges all of my like feminist thinking and assumptions right like what does it mean when I say like this is my favorite book right or Or is it my favorite book? I'm not sure. I think in a lot of ways it is. I don't think it's perfect. It's interesting, like, reading again to sort of be like, "Mm, that didn't quite work for me. Um, But I definitely think that um, part of the reason it does work is because, because of that, like, a leopard can't change its spots, right? This is who he is. And it's going to be who he is when he's falling in love, too. And I think um, it goes back to that whole, like, what's our capacity? You can't lie, but you can lie to yourself. Because I'm fascinated at the ways in which he cannot admit that Ellie is his mate and instead yeah. believe that it's, believes that it's Soroya. Right. So Lothair starts, the book starts with him as a child. Mm-hmm. I mean, little Lothair, sweet baby Lothair, spoiled rotten by his mom. Um, in Italian, my dad's my dad is Italian, and there's this phrase in Italian, a mamone, and it what it basically means is like a guy who's like tied to his mother, and like he never leaves his house, like never leaves his mother's <laughs> house, his the warm bosom of his mother's cooking and her laundry and whatever. And there's a mamone when it starts, like yeah, he, and he's little, um, and so that's fine. But you sort of get this sense that if what happened to him didn't happen to him, he just would have been an entitled rich guy who would have been just a asshole the whole time i mean he is an asshole but he would have been an asshole in a different way sort of an entitled prince right yeah absolutely well it is really terrible what he well no and then what happens is terrible right (laughs) yeah i was like yeah yeah, i'd kind of fuck anybody up for sure and i think that um i think it also though is really foundational for this idea about like what does it mean to have family Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because i was thinking about this Outside of the Roth brothers, whose mother died when they were very young, 
Do any other lore creatures have mothers that they remember like this? McCreeve. Mc- well, up in, I mean, after. But I mean, up until here. You know, we've seen lore creatures sort of playing around with like, I might be a parent one day. Right. But they don't themselves talk about their own parents. And so yeah. that also seemed, and maybe I'm wrong and someone can correct me, but. That was also interesting to me. It's interesting that you bring that up because there is this sort of old – I remember when I first, first started writing uh, romance, I went to an RWA conference and um, there was a big drama because, as per usual in romance, there was a big (laughs) drama. Um, And this big drama was that a pretty big deal editor had sort of said, well, I don't like heroes who have parents, right? Like, Because it feels to me like a hero needs to have gone through it in order to like – be a sort of classic romance hero in her mind this was you know she was just talking about what she prefers in her books just like all of us right and you know you you think about it and there are a lot of orphans in romance a lot a lot a lot of orphans in romance I mean like I myself has have written probably in every I don't think I've ever written a book where both parents on both sides are alive um and so and you make those choices because, you know, death of a parent. Look, Harry Potter, or- orphans become strong characters by virtue of the world that they grow up in, the the life experience, right? Right. So it's a choice. There are a lot of orphans in romance. Also, for men, usually those men are orphaned in order to have a title, right? It can't be a duke if you've got a dad. So, um, and this is, so these are all sort of interesting questions, but, uh, in this particular case, Ellie has a very big, very wonderful family and she's deeply connected to them. And Lothair hates his family. Like he has a vendetta against his brother. He has a vendetta against his uncle. His father. He has a vendetta against his father. He, um... Like, he hates his whole family. He has a complete lack of respect for the Dacians. Mm-hmm. Is it Dacian? Is that correct? Yes. The, yeah. Well, the, the Dashi, I guess, is how. The Dashi. Yeah. Um, he has a complete lack of respect for them, even though he desperately wants to be their king. Um, yeah. And these are all, look, I mean, like, he's a total fucking mess. He's yes. a mess. And on top of it, He's sexist and he's classist and he's just a bad dude. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think then it's interesting, though, because one of the big things about Ellie's family, right, is that she will do literally everything she's doing is to protect them. And right, because she knows she can't really like save herself. There's a part at which like she's given up hope that she's going to like kind of survive this like I don't even know this like she she can't exercise this demon who's like sharing her body right this this Soroya kind of goddess and I think it's really interesting that um Lothair like he hates her family and sh- and it's classist and all that but I also think it's like jealousy right oh, it's like pure jealousy. He, it's on the page it's yeah. jealousy yeah he wants her for himself and he doesn't want to have to share her and it's jealousy and also fear, right? Because if she has other ties, then she can betray him. Right. Well, and more than all that, it's jealousy that she loves them so unconditionally. I mean, mm-hmm. she loves them without hesitation. 
And nobody loves Lothair without hesitation. I mean, because he doesn't deserve it, frankly. Right. I mean, right. What What's interesting is that Lothair's so Ellie's love for her family is is pure familial loyalty, and Lothair's all forms of Lothair's loyalty, all forms of loyalty in Lothair's life are related in some way to a transaction. Their love is transactional for Lothair versus for. Ellie. It's literally kept in a book. Yeah. I mean, like every his stupid, dumb book that's filled with, you know, all these men and all these pe- beings who think he's going to come for their firstborn, which I think is hilarious, right? Because, <laughs> of but course, like, I mean, like the last thing he would want. That's literally so funny Lothair about it. does not want children anywhere near him. Um, but the, but the the fact that love it has been and has been transactional from the beginning, which is sort of an echo of this royalty thing, right? Like we're. Where love for royals is transactional, it has to be right that sh- that he loyalty is always in question, especially during war, like when you're when you know the vampire horde and the forebears and the Dace- the Dacians are all like in battle with each other, yeah, um, and for Ellie, it's so simple it's it's her. And the people she loves. And it's so honest. And it's so and that's sort of the remarkable thing is like talk about honesty. Lothair can't lie, right? But like Ellie doesn't have to lie. Yeah. Ellie like Ellie's pure truth. Yeah. And he can't deal with it. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the things that's also really interesting is um like, is she a fitting mate for him, right? It's like, a good question. Yeah, and I and I think it's, like, the obvious stuff. Like, she's insanely stubborn, right? She knows her own mind is going to do... She is... Well, she has the ability to be reckless in the face of, like, a goal that she's pursuing, right? Like, she is all in. I mean, in those ways, I think she's, like, a really good match for him. Um... I think the ways in which it's like, like, she's kind of goofy. She has this, um, like, kind of down home charm, which I, it was really interesting. There's someone on Twitter I was talking about that was like, it's like kind of her, like, Appalachian-ness is, was to this person who grew up in Appalachia kind of like, felt a little off, which I, mm-hmm. you know, fair enough. I can't speak to that, but um i think there's this part of her that's just like she's really grounded like she talks about this mountain she's from all the time and i think it's like really symbolic of the sense that like she knows exactly who she is she's and and that's the part where lothair is i mean that's like the morality chain part right he's literally he's insane with everyone's memories he needs someone who's like i know exactly who i am mm-hmm she her she's her depth of so okay i when i started reading id i read i read them in like 2017 right all in one fell swoop so i missed the i remember the lothair craze from like being in the world but i was not a paranormal reader at the time so it didn't matter to me but my sister was and she was obsessed with it and that's why i know right but um, I remember when I started reading them, my friend Louisa was like, you're going to like, you're going to die. You're going to start reading these books. You're not going to be able to stop. You're going to read them all in two weeks to so just clear your schedule. Because um, I know you, Sarah, and I know you're not going to be able to stop. And she was right. But she was like, don't do yourself a favor and don't look ahead. 
right? Like just yeah. kind of go with the flow and like get to Lothair, get to everyone when you get to them. Yeah. And when I got to Lothair, I was really disappointed that he was with a human. Yeah. This was before I read it, right? Because it felt, it just didn't feel right, right? Like I was like, oh, it's going to be Fury. Or, right. oh, it's going to be Nyx. And yes. I want to talk about Lothair and Nyx because, oh, me, yeah. I mean, we'll get there. But for me, don't let us, don't let me stop this podcast without us talking about Lothair and Nyx. But then when you start to read it, like, you're right. It's, it's that, it only works because Ellie is a human. Because yeah. she is the only thing that is a risk for him, right? He is yeah. the enemy of old. There is, Nix at one point says, I've met dirt younger than us. And that's the thing. I mean, we talked about this pattern playing out, right, with like kind of fresh young women and, and like old men, right? But this doesn't even seem that way to me because there is nothing like soft about Ellie. He doesn't teach her anything. She doesn't have to learn from him. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is weird because in all the other in all the other matches like that, they teach. It's interesting, like he doesn't even teach her about the lore. Bailery does. Yeah. Hag. Yeah. Oh, Hag. I love her. <laughs> I love Hag. I mean, Hag and that there's so much basically it's interesting because this is a, as much as it's a family romance, it's a found family romance for for Lothair that began in the last book, right? Like, oh yeah, he still has Thad, who's like Mister Lothair, Lothair. <laughs> my buddy, my best friend, right? And he has Valerie, who's still like hanging around with him, Hag, yeah. right? Um, and and then he has Nyx. well, and I think it just goes to like how there's a, one of the really interesting things, right? So there's this whole thing about like truth and family. But there's a whole other part of this book that I think is really interesting about happiness. And Ellie knows what it is to be happy, to feel like fulfilled deep down into her soul. Even though she's like, I spent a quarter of my life on death row because of you. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's the part where you really get how exhausting it would be to be an immortal. And so Lothair is constantly breaking up his life into like tasks right? It's like seven little tasks or eight puzzle. Like this puzzle is going to do 60 pieces. This, you know, everything is like, do you ever see that movie where, um, oh my God, it's with, uh, what's his name? It's, um, oh shit, that British guy in Four Weddings and a Funeral, Hugh Grant. And he's in a movie where he has made all, I'm like, my brain where he has like made all this his family his father wrote like a one-hit christmas wonder and he's basically oh, living yeah. off it's, this um, money about a boy about a boy yes it's a book by nick hornby yes and in the movie though i really vividly remember him describing like when you don't have a job and you don't have a family you have to like find a way to break up your days and he talks about how he breaks up his days into units the important thing in island living is to be your own activities director and i find the key is to think of the day as units of time each unit consisting of no more than 30 minutes full hours can be a little bit intimidating and most activities take about half an hour taking a bath one unit watching countdown okay uh... one unit web-based research Two units. Exercising. Three units. Having my hair carefully disheveled. 
four units. It's amazing how the day fills up, and I often wonder, to be absolutely honest, if I'd ever really have time for a job. And I found myself thinking, like, that's basically what Lothair is doing. Like, how are you literally, like, making meaning for yourself when you have all the money in the world, when you have uh, your book of debts? Like, he has to make meaning for himself, and he has to burn time. And I think that that's something, like, Ellie is, like, the whole discussion they have, which I think is amazing, where she's, like, you know, that's not an end game. That's, like, a that's like a process, right? Like, I don't remember, you know, exactly how she says it, but it's like, you know, you're mixing up process and product, essentially. She understands something about living that he does not. And that's why I think she has to be human, because she's alive in a way yeah. that he's not. She's well, literally, right? Like she can Yeah. In order to be fully alive, you have to be able to die and she's she's mortal, right? So, yeah. um no, I think you're totally right and I think that there's that really telling moment where Nix is at Val Hall with her and Nix says like and she says like it's been a month or it's been 3 weeks or however long it's been and he hasn't come for me. Like he's not going to come for me. And Nix is like Three weeks is like a second, Tim. Yeah. Like, it's no amount of time. He just hasn't, like, Nick sort of argues that, like, he has no capacity for understanding that, like, three weeks is, is infinite. It, you know, is an infinite it's amount a lot of time when you, you love yeah. someone. Except then cut to Lothair. And it, right. it's been an infinite amount of time for him, oh, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, but, like, the bastard won't admit it. I mean, here's the thing about this book. It is real hard to get through... The level of forgiveness that Ellie seems to have for him. The level yeah. of tolerance that Ellie seems to have for him from the start. And it hurts, right? It hurts that he hurts her so yeah. much. He puts her on death row. He beats her poor boyfriend. He, like, tells her that Soroya, that he's going to take away her soul he tells her that oh, he loves yeah. Soroya better. He tells her that, like, she's going to have, like, there's that heartbreaking moment where she says, when we have, when I have children, will you tell your, yeah. will you tell them about me? Right? Oh, I mean, like, no. he just is, the things that he puts her through are really unconscionably horrible. And. Absolutely. And then we see him, as we see him discover, well, to your point about lying, right? Like. He can't acknowledge the truth because it's too damaging. The idea that a vampire might have hurt his bride in such a visceral way from the start of their relationship is just, it's beyond, like, even Lothair doesn't have the capacity to to deal with the trauma of that. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting is I found myself, because of course we've talked so much about, like, the memories and is it a cheat and I've kind of, you, as you know, have come down on the fact that, like, it is. And here's where I was like, oh, here's the payoff. I'm such an idiot. Of course, it was leading to this. We see all of the terrible things he does to her in real time. So at the end, when he finally dreams her memories, it's like she just fast forwards through it. Because we already know what he's done. We've been sitting with this for hundreds of pages. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't need to like relive them on the page because we are already aware. And so when we see him like finally and Nix tells him like, I like basically don't be a pussy. Like she's like, you have to let yourself do this. Mm -hmm. That we understand that um, it's, 
you know, it, it's like this internal mechanism. He like, it was his own like internal breaks that he wouldn't let himself do this. And I think that's that's just like really interesting to me that like here's a time when like he had access to this all along and he just wouldn't let himself do it because he was too scared of his own behavior. Sure. And it requires him to literally get a new heart to do it. Yes. Right. Like, oh, and the part literally has to unpack his old, wizened, gross, black heart. Yes. And then grow a new one yes. to love her. To like yeah. know to, to discover that he's loved her and to deal with the pain of loving her. So it's almost like with this new heart, he's given himself life again, right? Like the the, oh, yeah. the new heart it it almost t- it takes away the years. Yeah, but you, it makes him young again. And Yeah, but you know what also Yeah, it's amazing because he says the other thing he says though is he thinks Right, like, I think this heart thing is actually amazing. And I, like, when Nick says, like, oh, it's so romantic, I was like, it really is, you guys. He tears out his (laughs) fucking heart for her. But then there's this line, right, where he says his new heart hurt worse than the other. Because it's, he has to fix it with her, right? And I did, I found that whole part, like, I, you know, it was funny because, um, Sarah Holly, we were talking about on Twitter and she's like, that's bullshit. He's just like being like a baby. You know, I'm taking my heart out and going home. And I was like, no, no. it is this real moment of, I mean, it really moved me even more this time around. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, like we're talking about a guy who in the book prior to this is fully tortured. I mean, like skins him, like they skin him in the, in the book, behind, in the book prior to this like he is burned he's incinerated like he's lost limbs over the course of his lifetime he has suffered every kind of pain and the moment that ellie leaves him and he is left without her without his bride without the person who he loves it is a pain that is so impossible to endure that he rips it out of himself like he thinks yeah and he's such a dummy. What a dummy. <laughs> like, he really honestly is like, my heart hurts and I'm ripped. Like, I can, if I can just get it out of me. Like, I know. Can I exercise her? Talk about Mr. Vivisection. He vivisects himself. <laughs> oh, I know. There. I know. Oh, there. But I think, so, I, I do think, though, like, back to the, like, why does this work? Right? Like, why do we forgive him? Because, like, these moments are so dramatic. Like, how else could you show, like, your reader? Right? Such drama. And that's the thing, like, you know, we talk. Oh, yeah. We talk all the time about how, like, men are, like, they don't know how to feel their feelings. And here is, like, the most amazing (laughs) example of it, I think, ever on page. I'm going to rip out my own fucking heart and send it to you in a box. And I might add, he offers to do it again for her. Oh, yeah. Like, and then he, when he's like, I'll just do it again. I'm like, I, I, how do I prove to you that I'll just rip my heart out again? And she's like, wait. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so I think we talk about, right, about parody a lot. And, you know, and this might not work for a lot of people, right? I mean, a lot of people might be like, rip out your heart every night for five fucking years. She was on death row and then we'll talk. And I get that. But I do think that it's, Um, it's like symbolic of the fact that he really has realized that he has profoundly wronged her Mm -hmm. 
and that mm-hmm. he has profoundly wronged them. Right? Mm-hmm. That it's both. And I think that that's what that is about. And I love it. Yeah. I mean, I do think also this is one of the, you know, we've, ages ago, we talked about this con, this faded mate concept, right? This, mm-hmm. like, do you, like, what, what makes a faded mate? And, um, cause every, every hero has one in these books. And in this book, there's such a question of like, is Soroya the goddess of vampires his fated mate? Or is Ellie the human his fated mate? And he just can't even wrap his head. Like at the beginning, it is classism. It's disgusting, like sort of speciesism where he's like, oh, well, yeah, clearly. I mean, clearly I'm matched with the goddess and not with this like garbage human. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think that what's really interesting, though, is that bride in this book does not equal love like he's blooded. He is, um, you know, he becomes he he gets all he has the entire experience. We never we don't see Lothair being blooded in this book. Um, yeah. Which is a bummer because, as you all know, well, I love and a blooding. Well, and it's bloody. Right. Because she comes across Soroya. And it's Ellie's, yeah. like, body, but Soroya, like, ripping people limb from limb. And it's, like, this moment where you understand, like, he, he like, misses the forest for the trees, right? He just yeah. misses it. Yeah. So he, but what's interesting is, so he has the experience of getting his bride, but he doesn't have the experience of, like, instantly being connected to her in the way that all the other men in the lore have and I think there's something to be said for the fact that what I think what Cressley's trying to point out here is that just the fact that the mate that you have your fated mate doesn't mean it doesn't mean love right it's the first time that we see on the page that it doesn't mean love right 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 you have to be open to that part of matehood well, and it's really interesting because it's clear that he's, like, found Ellie and seen her a few times. Well, because there's the boyfriend in the woods with the truck and the... That he, like, throws off the cliff or whatever, right? And he keeps remembering that boy, that sort of experience of seeing her with a boy and, like, being... But he's not blooded then. No, but he says later, like, essentially, like... She's I... too young. She was too young, right? He knew there was something special about that. her. We're too, yeah, yep, exactly, which I thought was interesting. But I think that that's the part, too, where it's, like, Ellie, um, oh, like, she's such a fascinating character. Like, even that young, she knows who she is. And there's this whole part about how she loved parking with boys. She loved parking, mm-hmm. but she wasn't going to get pregnant. And she wasn't, you know, so she's, like, like I'm going to, you know, dry hump all over the place or whatever and 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 kiss and make out. But it's really interesting because she's i mean the sex thing but the sex stuff between them is also really interesting right can we talk about sex because yeah i really think like i mean we have to have we have to have like 20 minutes on sex in this book (laughs) like (laughs) first of all look we all know we're gonna come to it the elephant in the room is the like famous lothair sex scene but like let's let's start at the beginning with lothair so here we are right like I think the other thing that that Lothair has to come to terms with here is the he comes into it thinking like humans are vermin, 
right? Yes. Like his mother, yeah. sa- his mother is the first one who says it. Who's like, you would dare bring a human into my world with my child, and they're look disease ridden, yes. like yes. beasts, right? They're they're vermin. Um, so Lothair sort of grows with that with that view of humans, um, and then I think what we start to see is like the difference between humanity as garbage and like worthlessness and humanity as like precious and yeah like life as precious right like he has to he has to evolve to a place where he appreciates all of ellie's like human characteristics and the way that he does and but he seems to appreciate her preciousness before he appreciates anything else right like he and sex is how I mean, as with always with Cressley, sex is how we start to see this. Like, Lothair is immensely strong. He is um, mm-hmm. incredibly powerful. He is the most powerful vampire that we've met in the series, and that we will meet in the series until you know f- five books from now. And he is the oldest living vampire. Yeah, at this point, and. He is keenly aware of the fact that if he has sex with her, he's going to hurt her. And it is like there's the dry humping scene. It starts with dry humping. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And he comes from it, which also like you have this moment of like this idea that this man, this this creature oh, yeah. who's been, who's thousands of years old, can't control himself like in this moment is yes. really powerful for a reader. Viscerally, like this is my id, you guys. Here we are. Like, if we have to write Sarah's id, it's, like, men coming all the time for no, like, like because yeah. they can't fucking control themselves. I mean, yeah. I don't want that in, like, real life. But like, no, but, but I want that, like, I love that, like, emotional, the the impossible, he the lack of control that it takes. Like, the fact that Lothair comes in his jeans, like, three times in this book yes. is, like, pure delicious id for me. Well, and I also found myself thinking that in a weird way... They're kind of like match. I mean, he essentially hasn't had a sex life in thousands of years or whatever, right? And so he's like this adolescent, and so is she in a way, right? Like they're in that yep. way. It wouldn't have worked for me if he was like so much more sexually um, experienced than her. Like they're they're discovering this together because he yeah. can't remember it it's been so long and she's been locked up in death row and hasn't had a chance to experience either experience it either yeah and it's so there's that and then there's the scene where then he then there's the scene like basically he's like we can't have sex and right. she's like what do you mean we can't have sex? like what this is how i'm going to convince you right <laughs> and she's like this is my lever that i can press with this guy i yeah. have to make him fall in love with me and it's going to yeah. be with this body i have yeah and then there, so then after the dry humping scene, there's the scene where he goes down on her and then comes all over the floor. Also, yep. thumbs up, Cressley. <laughs> and then, and then there's the scene where she's like, "Well, can I just, can I like, can you stay still? Yeah, and I'll do all the work. Yeah." And he's like, "Say more about that." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's pretty great. And and like again, it's this moment where he here is the one battle like she is the enemy right she's the she's the enemy because she is his pure weakness yes he cannot control himself in any way around her and it's for somebody like lothair for lothair who has seen 72 steps ahead in this chess match for you know 10 books the idea that he can't 
navigate her in any way that she's like a black like she's just a black spot for him yeah she can't he can't see her he can forecast everything right like i i thought a lot about um i guess i was thinking a lot about movies i always am but like that sherlock holmes movie with robert downey jr where he's like and then this is gonna happen right like that's how everything is for lothair he sees everything happening and ellie never acts the way he expects no he can't see it and novelty is something he really loves because he never gets it ever yeah it's totally different and exciting for him and so he of course can't control himself and then so then there's that scene and they do it and he's so careful with her he's so careful with her. he's so careful with her even though he's like okay i'm just gonna like i can't i can't i can't i have to i have to do this and then like he like the second it starts it like even gives her a twinge of pain like he can't deal with it he cannot and this is all before he acknowledges that she's his bride yeah and then he turns her and we got to talk about the turning but can we put a pin in turning for a second (laughs) because he turns her and as we know new immortals and this is going to be important for mcgreeve you guys New immortals have like sex oh, yeah. urges for days. Yeah. So like, yeah. uh Ellie wants it bad and she also wants blood. And so we get the infamous blowjob. Oh yeah. And you know what I had not remembered is that he directs her to do it. Oh really? Yeah. I, I know that's the best part. Yeah. And I had sort of thought like she was just like while I'm down here, let me no. I mean, he. It's what he wants, y'all. And it is, <laughs> y'all. When I read <laughs> this blowjob, I sat straight up on my couch and I was like, surely, <laughs> surely, this is not going to happen. I mean, and you all did too. Come on, you listeners. Yeah, everybody who read this the first time was like. Well, and it's markedly different because we get a we. I mean, Emma does it with Lachlan, but yeah, it's but no, not like this. No, it's no <laughs> next level. When Emma does it with not with Lachlan, you have this moment of like, did just did that just like yeah, I'm right. That flew by on the oh, page. Yeah. This does not fly by. This is a no. like full on tap the vein, have yes. an orgasm. In 69. <laughs> I hope you all aren't listening to this with your moms or <laughs> anyone else yeah. at work. <laughs> I hope your headphones didn't suddenly come unplugged. <laughs> Woof. Show title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, I mean, but it's, it's, it, again, though, I think it's like this question of like, I mean, we talked about this, right? She's constantly breaking barriers and breaking boundaries. So, of course, of course, it had to be, like, unreal. And it had to be in this book because, again, it had to be something Lothair had never even imagined would happen, right? It had to be something like even Lothair in his, like, most – nuanced in like brilliant brain would never have considered that this is how sex would be right with ellie oh yeah and you know what also i love about it is she back to that whole thing about she's so earthy 
right? I don't ever really, I don't think any of us are ever wanting to give a blood blowjob, right? I just don't. <laughs> and, and so it's... <laughs> Showtime. I'm like, sorry, you guys, right? But but in this case, it's like she loves it. And it's not just because she's a no, newly turned vampire. It's, it's hot. Yes. And she has always been down Cressly for like Cole. Yes. And that's this the part is... that works. It works. I feel like Ellie is such a good match for him. And and it's not because she's like you said, it's not because she's fixing him. It's because she is literally she is his match. Yep. And I mean, this is Kate Claiborne was like, okay, you guys, <laughs> I need content warnings for LaFair. And I refused to give them to her because I was like, you're on book 200 of this series. You know how weird this is going to get. Yeah. And also, um, as I as Sierra Simone says, like we're talking now, we're here. It's the full Cressley. I mean, Lothair, yeah. Lothair is the full Cressley. Like we, she is gone. She is she is stratospheric now, Cressley. Oh yeah. I mean, she. Oh, I don't yeah. know. But she is. You know what? It's funny. It works. It. I think it really worked for me. I. I oh, think it's that. Um, yeah. I. I. I definitely felt that. Right. Like I was like, it worked for me in so many ways. Yeah. But, okay, so can we talk about something that doesn't work a whole lot for me? Yeah. In this book. And, like, I gotta – look, I love this book, you guys. I love Lothair. I love Ellie. I love everything about this book. I really do emotionally. Like, it scratches every itch that I have. But intellectually, him turning her, every time I read it, it really fucking bothers me. Yeah. So we have Dorada – Who's coming for the ring. The ring, uh, Lothair intends for this ring to be used for three very specific things. One, to cast Ellie's soul out of her body and let Soroya live forever. Two, to become king of the Horde. Mm-hmm. And three, to become king of the Dacians, right? So uh, the moment he discovers that... So Cressley does some magnificent, like switcheroo plot happenings where Dorada and Soroya have had um mm-hmm. a, there's been a prophecy about them it has it is foretold that Dorada will kill Soroya and this is when she does and Lothair doesn't know that no it's great none of us do it's great it's great work it's a good example you got, again for the writers in the room it's a good example of how you don't put everything on the page until you have to put everything on the page because you never know when you might need a prophecy. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. to get you out of a tight spot. So Dorada turns up. There's this prophecy. You know, it's very neatly handled. Soroya's cast out. Ellie comes back, comes to. And Lothair is there. And he is ready to make her a vampire. And he's going to do it in the perfect way. She's not going to have to die. He's going to use the ring. First wish. It won't get fucked up because it's the first wish. And... Ellie says no. Don't do it. For And Ellie has said no to him. Here's the thing. This whole book is about consent and not in, and I think it's a lead in to McGreeve in a very important way because mm-hmm. I think McGreeve is all consent all the time. That's the entire plot of that book. But this whole book is about consent and this whole book involves Ellie saying no and Lothair saying, I know better. Yeah. Right? I I know you're saying no, but I'm saying yes, and you have to trust me, right, to know better. And it's filled with her trusting him 
And I'm with it through most of it. Yeah. But we get to this and she says no. And it's her whole fucking life. Yeah. Like it's the one thing that if he could just. And at one point she says like, just give me a year. Like give me. Yeah. Some time to get used to it. Right. And he's like, no deal. No deal. And of course, like he's like, he thinks that because she's mortal, right? Like she, she's his biggest weakness. Everyone in the whole lore hates him. She becomes his, a terrible weapon. Right. If she stays mortal. To be fair, he also worries not that they'll that they'll harm her like yes yeah right like yeah it's like I, he doesn't want he's not worried about her. himself right he's worried right. about her like everybody wants to hurt ellie because she's the bride of lothair right? right right but at the same time you guys it is real tough to swallow and, and it was that- hard for me this is not a 2019 thing it no. was hard for me to swallow the first time around because it's well, really selfish yeah yeah and it's it's so against her will and it's him saying i just know better than you and i will also say i'll add to that the she then spends a couple weeks at val hall and i think there's this like one sentence where it's like she'd forgiven him because it wasn't so bad being a vampire and i was kind of like really like yeah I mean, it's real, it's real tough because she, I don't, I don't actually think that it's throw, that I don't think Cressley throws away that, that forgiveness because when Ellie gets to the hill people. Yes. Back to the hill Right. Back home. Right. Back home. Like she's real worried about, like she's keenly aware of like her identity as a vampire and how it's going to change her family dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. She's worried and she's crying blood tears and she's panicking and like, and I, so I think Cressley does okay with that. I think my biggest concern – so, I mean, obviously, look, I can see in the moment, right, and this is one of the rare moments in the whole series when I can see sort of as a writer where you're at, something needs to happen to get from point A, which is, you know, Ellie and Lothair together at last after Sora yeah. has been cast out, to all – like, you have to a place where Lothair has to come to terms with everything that he's done, Right. And that has to be Ellie slicing his fucking head off. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I would like to. That's where Presley came to. Yeah. And I would like to say, I don't, I promised myself I wouldn't come back to the Odysseus thing a lot. But to, I thought a lot about this in terms of like in, in the Odyssey before he can go home, Odysseus has to go to hell and he has to go to Hades. And he has to cross the river and talk to all mm-hmm. of the people, right? And he has to visit mm-hmm. with essentially Tiresias, I, I think, who's going to like, right? And so for me, it's like when his head is cut off and he's in, in Dacian, Dacia and it's this underground kingdom and Nyx visits him and he cuts out his heart. To me, it's like him in Hades, right? Like yeah. he really, it, like to me, that was like this low That's moment. the journey. Yeah, the That's journey. That's the journey of the book. Is yes. From the yeah. moment that Ellie slices. So, all right. I just want to. Can I just put a pit? Can I just like put the bow on top of the consent? Mm-hmm. My consent issue. So, I mean, all right. I've said it out loud. I don't know. I mean, we're never going to solve it. It's just it's just a thing that's there. And I wanted to say it. Right. But what I love about it is that it is the first time in the whole book when Ellie is like, fuck, fuck this. you. Yeah. Like, I'm fucking done 
what you have done is unconscionably bad. Like, it is not acceptable. I do not forgive you, right? What's amazing is he changes her. They have that, like, intense sex scene. And then she's like, you know what? No, I don't like it. Yeah, it's the next morning. And then she threatens him with this sword, and he's mocking her. He's just... He's taunting her because he thinks it's ridiculous. He's like, what are you doing? Like, you're a garbage human vermin. And look what I just did. I just gave you eternal life. What the fuck is wrong with you? And he calls himself her sire, which is unacceptable. I mean, he does so many unacceptable things. He ran. It's perfect. It's really wonderfully written. Like where you, as the reader, are just constantly saying, "Like, oh my god, oh my god, I can't yeah. believe he said that to you." And then she traces because we ultimately find out that when he made his wish, he made his wish that she be like as strong as every vampire, um, with none yeah. of their weaknesses. So of course she can trace right away. She yeah. traces and she slices his fucking head off, and he deserves it. He deserves yes, he it. An eighth of an inch is left. I know. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And then she's like, oh, shit. And, of course, devastated, right? For lots of reasons. And then, point of fact, Carafina comes in to rescue her, which is a weird choice, but okay. Like, we've never seen Cara before. Like, she just rolls in with her fire wings and, like, (laughs) swoops Ellie away. Um, Ellie goes back to Valhall. um, And... I just want to say, like, that whole moment, like, for a while, I've read this book a thousand times, and I always, and I know you come to it, too, where you're like, I don't love, you know, is there enough groveling? Does he he Mm -hmm. do enough work at the end to get her forgiveness? And what I love is that in, on this reread, I was like, Ellie's doing work here. Like, Ellie's learning how to be Ellie in this moment. Like, fuck Lothair. Let him be recovering and punching holes in walls until the foundation of the castle in Dacia, like, falls down around him. This isn't about him. This is about her. She's been betrayed. She has to learn to stand on two feet and live as Ellie in her truth. And it is pretty fucking great. Like, she goes out to Valhall. All the Valkyries are like, she's pretty fucking great. (laughs) Yeah. And then she gets the heart and sends back her middle finger. Like a fucking badass. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's the part where it's like so much of this book is us talking about like Lothair, of course. But like this ending, like the ending is really Ellie's, right? Yeah. The last third of the book is Ellie's book. Yeah. and From she, the transformation on. Yeah. And she's the one who returns home and finds her little brother and... You know, and and her mother and explain is able to like name all of the things that happened to her, and experience her mom being like, "What's wrong with you, Ellie? <laughs> like, why can't you forgive him?" You know, yeah, but also like yeah. wonderful Uncle Ephraim, who's like, "Oh, I'm gonna yes. kill some bitch." <laughs> yes, and I and I found myself just really, like I said, the first time around, I. I didn't love it. And this time I did. I like whatever this time I did. However many times it's been. I liked it more. I felt more um, like, again, like this, this is what she needed. And it's separate from him. Mm-hmm. It's L. It's about her growth. Yeah. And then at the end, you know, the, the it's always going to come back to family, right? Like that's where it begins. And so the whole idea that, when she needs him 
he feels it and he appears. And again, it's groveling through action, which doesn't work for me when it's Cade buying Holly a house. It does work for me when it's Lothair saving these men from this mind collapse. Right? Yeah, it works for me. It. I mean, I can... Here, here's my problem. I can always do with more groveling. Like, nobody ever sure. writes a grovel enough for me. Like, so... No, same. For me... Uh, look, but here's the thing. For as much as that last third of the book is Ellie's book, my favorite scene possibly in all of IAD yeah is Nyx and Lothair together at last yeah like yeah these two what black king and white queen as yeah. she says like finally she what I love is nobody can fucking find Dacia but Nyx can <laughs> sure <laughs> like, she's known all along she's known all along where it is so everybody chill and the re- the revelation that Nyx has been playing for for the long game that Lothair has been playing for so many years, Nyx has been playing an even longer game, right? With more more boards or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. The fact that like she buried like she's the reason why he gets buried for six hundred years to be tortured, like. Because she wouldn't, he would never meet his mate. Like Ellie would never, Ellie would have, if not for, it's the butterfly effect, right? It's, if not for that, then Ellie would have killed herself. Like, right. And you would have died in that, in that, right? Like, this is how it had to be. You needed to miss all these wars. (laughs) And the fact that he has it, like, he calls her Phoenix and no one has ever called her. He's the only one who calls her that because everyone else has died. Yeah. And these two, old friends it's like um so i'm it's gonna sound crazy but i'm learning to play the ukulele right now and like (laughs) this is relevant i promise ish i believe you um i'm learning to play the ukulele right now and like and so i've been i don't know i've been learning for like four months and i'm terrible at it it's very very like superior supremely mediocre at this at, at this um but there's this great Simon and Garfunkel song, and, and it goes, Old friend. Oh, I love that song. Old friends sat on their park bench like bookends. And so um, Simon and Garfunkel is a good is a good band to start with if you're learning the, the ukulele. Um, but anyway, but I love that song. And as I was reading this, I was like, this is what they are. They're just... This is a love story too, right? Yeah. Like these two characters just constantly playing with each other, like toying with each other, cat and mouse, and maybe they were enemies for a long time, but at some point you're just two old people who've seen everything together right. and you're friends. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Like, and that I think is, it's an amazing scene. It's magnificent. It's magnificent. And you have this it's, moment. It is. I had this moment. I I always have a moment when I'm reading this scene where I think to myself, and this is because I'm a romance reader, right? Where I think to myself, like, well, this should be the romance. Like, these two deserve each other. But they have each other. Right. right? Like, they, yeah. it is a romance for them in the sense that, like, here is another person who loves Lothair. Loves him enough to, like, give him his medicine. Right. Absolutely. And and I think that um, I also think it's this moment where she's like, 
we often in romance, the character fucks up and a friend or family member arrives to sort of be like, get sure, your head out of your ass. Them. Right? Yeah. Who is it that can collect Lothair? Only Nyx. She is the only yeah. character that can collect him. Yep. And I think that it's also, so it's a really functioning, like we've seen this scene before. We've seen the best friend arrive to be like, what the fuck are you doing? Go, go get your man, go get your, right? Yeah. And so I think that that's the other thing about it. But I think the sad part about it is that she can be that way for him, but he is not that for her. She's now, she's in the wind, right? This is really the last book where we see Nick's uh, like, she disappears after this. Well, there's the moment where she says, they always die before us. Yeah. And and you're right. He leaves her alone, right? Because he goes to Ellie. And ultimately, yeah. like, he has, like, he, he, she, she is alone after this. Right. Um, And he says, you need a male to keep all, because she says, like, people keep coming for me. I haven't slept in, you know, three yeah. weeks because... People keep coming for me. And he's like, you need a male to keep them away. And she says something like, you have no idea. And then he says, but I'll keep them away tonight. Like, I'll help you sleep and yeah. I'll keep them away tonight. And it's a magnet. It's such a beautiful moment of like, really? Like, I'm getting emotional thinking about it, which is super weird because we're talking about, you know, vampires and Valkyries. Yeah. But like, it's a really beautiful moment of friendship. And then he yeah. says, I feel old. Like, Ellie made me feel young and I feel old without her. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt old before her. Yeah. And I just, I fucking love it. I love yeah, everything. I, I wonder, like, sometimes I read scenes in books and I think, like, ah, oh, that scene is so perfect. I wonder if she knows. Like, I wonder if Cressley knows how beautiful that scene is. It really does. Like, it really hits me in all the feels. Like, I just, yeah. I'm, like, teary thinking about it. It's just, a, it's a beautiful scene. And if you are a person who skips scenes that don't have the hero and heroine on the page together, <laughs> please don't go skip back that, yeah. and read that scene because it's really stunning. I think one of the things about that scene, too, is, you know, like, oh, okay, it's all these bananas. It's like these immortals or whatever. But, you know, you can't help but think about your own mortality when you read these books and when you read those scenes. And um, my, I, I really loved, I was very close to my grandmother who died when she was 95. And so she lived a really long life and she was like really healthy till the end. And it was like, I, I, we were really close. I, I really miss her still. And one of the things that was really like sad, but also like kind of that sad, funny where we all like literally laughed so hard until we cried is we found her address book after she died. And she, when her friends would die, would put an X through their name. Oh, no. <laughs> right? And here's the thing though, Sarah, like when you're 95, you, everybody dies. Yeah. Every everybody has died, right? She was one of the she was the last one alive. She was her, you know, her siblings were gone and and it was like and we laughed because it was so like my, you know, it was so perfectly my grandmother, but also like it I just thought, God, imagine like paging through your address book and just seeing all those exes. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's why this scene is so like, right? It's this moment of shared like they're looking at their lives and 
it's they're nowhere near over and yet they're so tired Mm-hmm. And I just think that it's like this really amazing moment in the book where mm-hmm. we as readers think about our own mortality. Yeah. Because that is not something Ellie, Ellie has thought about her own mortality, but it's stolen from her. Right. This mm-hmm. is different. Mm-hmm. But it's also, a t- I do think it's a turning point for next because, so we know Cressley has said, I believe out loud that, Nyx is the final book of the series, right? And that she knows the path that Nyx takes. And I've always said I don't believe that until I see it because <laughs> I can't – I literally – like, I mean, if anybody can do, do it, yeah. it's Cressley, but it's so impossible to imagine yeah. that Nyx can be a heroine, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that here we are now where we're in a position where Nyx um, – Nyx is about to become more sane, She's yeah. Cressley is about to set her on a path and we'll see this through the next, you know, eight books of sanity where yeah. she has to return to a place. I think Cressley is aware of the fact that, like, you can't match insane Nick's with right. anybody like she needs to move. She needs to evolve over the course of the next few books. And we're yeah. about to see that start to happen. Yeah. Um. Uh, what else? What else do we want to talk about? Um, I would like to talk about how many times I literally laughed out loud when I was reading this book. Oh, so funny. He's so funny. (laughs) He's so funny. I mean, like, literally, I would, like, sort of highlight these passages where, like, there's one in particular where he talks about how he's with the, the, like, his cousins and he has the throne and he talks about how he, like, basically splits up Mercio and... And Cosmina, and he says, it's like bowling a spare. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and it was just like, they're so, his humor is so funny. funny. And I was, and again, I think it's, you know, Sarah talked about, Sarah Hawley talked about this last time. Like, when you have a book that is this serious, when there's this many hard things going on, Mm -hmm. you have to break that tension with humor. But I cannot tell you how funny this book is and it's just wild because you would really not think that um and i i just think that that's like worth pointing out and i think part of that's just lothair and who he is but also just like it's kind of required i think to get us through how hard it is yeah yeah we didn't really talk about soroy at all but i don't really care no, but can I, I just talk about to. one moment yeah. with Soraya that I really love? Yeah. And it, yeah. Uh, we didn't talk about it during sex. So I'm going to talk about it now. So there's a moment. There's my favorite sex scene in the whole book is the one where Soraya starts to rise in the middle of it. Um, and Ellie is about to have an orgasm. And she's like, <laughs> she's like Lothair. She says, like, she's trying to, she's trying to come. She's trying to rise. And, yeah. and. He says to her, this is for you. Yeah. You stay with me. You fight her off. Yeah. And like he and it's so it's so right. And as the reader in the moment, I mean, Cressley just uses sex scenes right. Like there's Cressley's a great example of like no sex should be on the page of these books of a book if it doesn't move the plot or the characters forward. And in that moment, you see Lothair turn to valuing Ellie more just more well and I think a related scene is the one where Ellie 
is with Baylory and Thad in the little cottage, right? Yeah. And she's like, am I just like horny because I'm 24 and yeah, and I was in prison and maybe it's not just Lothair. And so she kisses Thad and it's, and Baylory is like, what the fuck did you just do? I know. She throws her in the shower. She's like, you wash. Yes. And Thad is like, I've just betrayed my best friend. I mean, and I just think it's this amazing scene again where we see Ellie really both like not quite understanding how, how Lothair is going to act. Because at this point, she has not put two and two together that Lothair has thrown this boy like she was like right messing around with off the cliff and broken both mm-hmm, his legs. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think it's this amazing scene where we see Ellie, like, really, like, okay, you know what? I'm going to figure this out for myself. And, and you know, he's so cute. And, and I just thought it was, like, a really interesting moment where he is really jealous and he hates it. But she explains to him. I mean, she has this moment where she just, like, blurts out, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Like, I had to know. I had mm-hmm. to know. Right. Because part of her committing to him is not just committing to, like, the lore, but really committing to him. Mm-hmm. And she has to know because she never has had a chance to know. And I just think that was, like, I thought that was another really kind of amazing scene. Yeah. It's awesome. And it's and it sort of sets up, again, it's that sort of found family moment. It's there's... It's Lothair in a in a position where he can exact instant revenge against Thad, but like instead mm-hmm. he's like he sort of has a moment of clarity about how how it is to have people in your life who are who are not perfect because nobody is perfect, right? Least of right. all Lothair. Um, also, I just want to put it. I want to just point out that at the end, this is we've talked before on the podcast about how. Um, the perfect romance conflict has to revolve resolve itself with the hero or the heroine or whoever giving up the thing that they value most in the world for the other person. Mm-hmm. And Lothair gives up his book, right, mm-hmm. for Ellie. And right. then there is a point when she's teasing him at the end and they're in the trailer and she's like, we have to live here. And he's looking around at all the Beanie Babies and he's like, oh, my <laughs> God. Oh, my God. And he sort of yeah. has this moment where he's like, I want to die, but I, yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess, I guess. <laughs> and he's like, I I'll buy you a that- mansion. I'll buy the whole, I'll buy, <laughs> I'll buy a mansion for everyone. And she's like, she's like, but I like it here. And she's totally teasing him and it's adorable. Oh, yeah. And then when she's like, we're going to come for Christmas and Thanksgiving and every Sunday and NASCAR. And he's yes. like, <laughs> like, it's Fine. just perfect well there's this like throwaway line at the end where they're li- you know they go back to Daisha and like they take the dog Bo Jr and yeah. this dog is like super attached to Lothair <laughs> but there's this part where like Ellie essentially has talked him into taking Josh and some friends trick-or-treating yeah oh it's so cute it's so cute and yeah. that's it right like t- and then like she's also talked a bunch she's talked like the Dacians into letting her family come for Christmas to Dacia. <laughs> We're like, no one's allowed to go. <laughs> and like, even, is it Trayan? Like, Trayhan, like, yeah. Trayhan is like, I don't quite know how she convinced me, but we said yeah. yes. Like, 
Yeah. She's yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um so let's talk about uh we talked we started with the talk about the end. Let's talk about you want to do uh Lost Limbs? Oh god. I mean, I don't even know. Well, I mean, his heart. There's, okay. So the head counts. I the mean, head counts. Sure, of course. Finger, the heart. Uh Lothair loses his lips and his tongue in the blood rot forest. Oh, the bloodroot forest, yeah. Um and that's that's it though for me. The bloodroot forest, by the way. And Ellie loses his, her pubic hair, but she's not aware of it, so oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk I about that. I was like, too. if anybody was we gonna had to get a Brazilian, it, that's the way to do it, I guess. I know. Like <laughs> well, so here's the thing. So so Kate, um oh, we're outing you, Kate. Kate Claiborne <laughs> texted us and was like, um, was like you guys uh ellie woke up and she had no pubic hair (laughs) and i was like um yeah but if you have to get a full wax wouldn't you rather do it while a demon was possessing you (laughs) way better right that was a real solid saraya did her i will give her that We're putting that on the Lost Limbs count. I'm going to do it. Fine. <laughs> um, nothing can stop me. Um, again, I, I want to return to Odysseus. The the whole part, the fo- uh, like a really foundational ending of Ulysses or of Odysseus, right, is that when he gets home, um, he's basic. You know, she's like, yeah, I got rid of our bed, and he's like, what? And he freaks out because the bed was carved. From a tree that was essentially growing up through the middle of their home. So, like, mm-hmm. there's no way to remove this bed. It, it's embedded, like, literally into the earth. And it was actually the first thing that got me thinking about, like, Lothar's and Odysseus character was the fact that this tree grew through him. Right? Mm-hmm. He's, like, essentially laid for 600 years in the bloodroot forest with this tree, like, growing, like, literally through him. It's so backwards, right? To, yeah. like, what it is in the Odyssey. But just this idea that, like right like you're like connected to the like the earth in this way yeah but it's terrifying and terrible for him he wants to escape it um and yeah so it's just like all those little pieces parts that made me think of it but you know if we think about Lothair at the end with Ellie you know it's like the happiness for him it's not really like vanquishing the suitors right like that's I mean I guess there's some of that but I didn't really think that's what it was but it was just like vanquishing his memories and getting rid of the book and being able to like start all over sure he frees himself he literally cuts out his heart grows a new one and becomes a new man yeah absolutely free of all the trappings of the past yeah but complete with all of the money that he had which is fine super great nice (laughs) and i like that she was like yeah i like all those jewels i would like those by my family's mountain right i don't ever want to have to worry about them my family being in the mine again and there's a part where stelian right he sort of like decides he's gonna go get her and he's like buy her mountain and and stelian's like we're gonna buy our way back into her you know your your like queens and he's like good idea wait to get dumbass wait to start (laughs) oh they're just like i do love that the dacians like the Dacians and Lothair have this great like 
rapport oh, yeah. where they are really not terrified of him at all. And it's kind of awesome. Um, and we're going to see that come back in the Shadows book. There's one – there's a line that I'll talk about then that I really love in the sh- in one of the Shadows books. Um, I can never – I it will come as no surprise to everyone that I can never keep those apart. <laughs> You're so, like, whichever one that is. Claim and seduction. We're actually going to do those. We we have heard you, listeners. We know you want us to do the Dacians. We are going to do Shadows Claim and Shadows Seduction in one episode. Quick and but, dirty Dacians. But down in front of Wicked Abyss. Yes. So, future, future. Yeah, yeah we're going to – kind of go out little this is where we get to make the decisions everybody um any what about you sarah did you cover everything on your list oh you know what i want to talk about um i just want to shout out the person who did the punch counter on twitter yes so lothair really likes to punch a wall and i mean it's pretty high you guys not gonna lie i'm here for it um and somebody on twitter uh did a full punch count. <laughs> and I think there are 17 walls that are punched in the in the book. And sometimes um, and he, like, traces to the wall and punches yeah, it. He's not near. Those are my favorites, where he's, like, not near a wall, so he traces to one and punches it. <laughs> oh, God. It's magnificent. Um, it really so is. what's next, Jen? Oh, we're going to do an AMA next week, right? We're going to do we an are. Ask Me Anything we are. And, but by the time people are listening to this, we've already recorded the AMA. So yeah, don't ask true. us any more questions. We don't we'll put it – we'll ask you now on Twitter and Instagram. But then what book is next? What are we McReeve. Doing? I think we're going to do McReeve. All right. You guys, I'm psyched. I'm psyched yeah. for McReeve. Uh, Sierra Simone is going to join us for McReeve, which is super exciting. We love her. Friend of the pod. Um, definitely make sure that you're not in public when you listen to that one because there will be raucous <laughs> laughter for sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, and it'll be probably real dirty because, I mean, Sierra. So that's why we love her. We love <laughs> her. And uh, so that's that. Oh, Jen, you want to talk about um, our announcement? Oh, God. Thank you for reminding me. So um, one of the things that is coming up, and we're really excited about it, and if the timing is right, this will be next week, is um, – Courtney Milan is launching an online book club for discussing the three Rita finalists by authors of color. And your Facebook group, Old School Romance Book Club, is also going to be joining in. Mm -hmm. Um, The first book up is Bad Blood by M. Malone. And these discussions are going to be happening on many different platforms, I think, in many different places online. And so there is a Twitter account that they set up, which is at Romance Sparks Joy, and you can find more information there. And I think it's just going to be a really fun way to talk about these, like these read a finalists, right, with other readers in a variety of ways. I think it'll be great. Yep. And I read it and loved it. So it's a novella. And um, the discussion on Twitter is going to be on April 15th. And um, we are doing a novella episode uh, very soon with Tracy Livesey. So uh, maybe we'll do some magic work and figure out a way to we'll release see. our novella supo- oh my, episode around We'll see too. what we can do. I mean, no <laughs> so, promises, Yeah, guys. that's really exciting. But also just in general, um, I think I am sad to see Lothair go. But he does come back. He comes back, but never, never quite the same way. No. But we do see him. He is king. I mean, Cressley knows that we love him. He is king of the Dacians now. Mm -hmm. And so he's in both the Shadows books. He's 
he has a part, a little tiny cameo in Sweet Ruin. Um, but we love him. And also it's bittersweet because it means we're really moving, moving quickly yeah, through the are. series. Um, but tell us, as always, everyone, please let us know um, if you think we got anything real wrong or real right. We especially like it when you think we got something right. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice. Uh, while you're there, if you want to leave us a review or a rating, we would love that. Um, if you are, you can find us uh, at fatedmates.net. Links to all the books, links to all of Jen's amazing show notes. Um, if you are uh, paying attention yeah. to us in podcast platforms, you'll also see images in some of the pl- podcast platforms that we put together. So um, we're leaving you little little notes and little little love notes everywhere we go. Um, find us on Twitter at P- Faded Mates. Find us on Instagram at Faded Mates Pod. Email us at Jen at Faded Mates or Sarah at Faded Mates. That's it. I feel like you've covered all the bases. That's it. That's it. Um, we've got stickers stay tuned very soon we're going to have a way for you to get a sticker from us um, by mail and uh, yeah there it is we'll see you next week we will